0: Hi everybody, welcome to Trish Chat. We're going to start things off a little bit different today, and we're going to read uh, a stat. And that stat is that black women are three to four times more likely to die than white women during or after delivery. So we're going to let you noodle on that for a bit while we talk about the the topic of today's episode, which is how race, ethnicity, social class, and sexuality can act as a barrier to quality health care. Uh, before we begin to chat, we want to remind everybody that everything that you'll hear in today's episode is based on our personal experiences. And I'm Steph. I'm here with Jess, and today we have special guest Anna Sophia. Anna Sophia is one of my best friends from college, and she is also a midwife. Anna, do you want to tell people a little bit more about yourself and what a midwife is?
1: Sure. Hello, listeners. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wanted to say that. So most people um, don't understand what midwives are, uh, especially because here in this country, midwives have been sort of banned from our society or driven out by the medical system that we have currently in place, um, it, made up of doctors mainly. And so midwives are usually, when you hear of that word, you think of home births. You think of crunchy, hippie-like midwives, and that's all true. That's all part of what midwifery (laughs) can be. It's a holistic form of nursing care, Um, but midwives have been around since women or people who identify as women and who have uteruses and can give birth have been around, so since the beginning of time, because you always need help having a baby. And Right now, midwifery care in this country, in the United States, um, encompasses People who help women give birth in homes in birth centers and in hospitals and I am a midwife who works in a low-income community uh, made of immigrants made up of uh, the people who have been affected by the opioid epidemic and I work in a hospital so I provide care in a hospital I can uh, provide you with epidurals so you can have a pain-free birth I provide you with wholesome care throughout your laboring experience, so you can have a non-medicated birth, and everything in between, as well as well-woman exams in the clinic, birth control consults, uh, grieving counseling, all that comes with um, women's health. Wow, <laughs> <That's a lot. laughs>
0: that is a lot. Yes, <laughs> so. Even if you don't listen to the rest of the episode, I hope that you at least learned one thing just yeah, now. And amazing. I have learned a lot because I asked emma Sophia a lot of questions about everything, yeah. including how a baby, like <laughs> the true process of delivery. Yeah, I'm and I'm
2: completely I've,
1: scarred.
0: I've learned so much. <laughs>
1: that wasn't the intention to so scar
2: anymore. <laughs> no, yeah, no, but it was awesome.
0: Um, So I want to start, um, if each of us can take some time to talk through what our experiences have been within the healthcare system as women of color um, or as queer women of color for those of us who identify as queer
2: yeah I guess I can go okay um, so I'll speak to it from like being a queer woman of color and my experiences um, you know going to I guess any doctor but mostly when I'm going to the emergency room or like an urgent care and they're trying to figure out <clears throat> what's wrong and they have to do all the tests. Um, and I always get the question of like, are you pregnant or can you be pregnant? Right? And I always cringe with that question because obviously that's not possible for me Yeah. Um, in my current situation and um, it's always a battle because I guess I get defensive in the sense of I immediately am like, no. Yeah. And they continue to be like, are you sure? And I'm like, I am positive. There's no way that I can be pregnant. Yeah. And they go and they go and they go until finally I'm like, I'm a lesbian. There's yeah. There's no chance I haven't had sex with men in a long time. Um, and after talking to Anna, I understand that, you know, even with that, they do have to take, uh, give me a pregnancy test to be sure, just in case something happens but it is quite frustrating um, getting that question just because as a queer person I'm constantly defending my sexuality Mm -hmm. in other ways and then you know I'm going even before I got married and I've become comfortable and like um, it's always been an issue for me I remember going into college and filling out the forms of like could you be pregnant or your partner um, and being scared to say like my partner's a woman. Um, and so that's been my experience kind of going into the into these uh, offices because now I'm just used to it. Yeah. but um, it was never a f- it's never been a fun experience because I guess I know what to expect and I know that I have to kind of put my shield up and I have yet to find meet a doctor or a medical professional that's like, Um, progressive in the sense of you know asking me who my partner is or who I'm being sexually active with it's always just an assumption that like I could be pregnant or not um so yeah yeah
0: I see what you're saying I would I would definitely agree with that because it's as a queer person you're you It's like you, the process, we think about the process of coming out as like a one-time thing where you tell everyone, but we're coming out every day to our employers, our coworkers new people that we meet and our healthcare providers. And at that moment, you're sort of forced to come out because you, you want to be honest, right? You want your healthcare provider to have all of the accurate information about you. But I also do get concerned that once I out myself, like, does that change the quality of care that you're going to give me if you disagree with my lifestyle?
2: Was the other thing I was going to say. It makes me nervous to be honest about that because I don't want them to be biased towards me in a way that's going to affect my health. And that's scary.
1: And that's all real. And especially now that Trump has approved people to uh, not give care to others because of what they believe or what they think is right in this world. Or if they're homophobic, then they shouldn't have to treat Uh, homosexuals because of their religious preference or whatever it may be that justifies, in the name of the law, their discrimination against others. And it's concerning to me as a midwife to hear or hear that story that you're always being constantly asked to do a pregnancy test when you can't be exposed to pregnancy because of who you have as a partner. But I'm even more concerned, stepping back a little bit, to understand that no one even asks you, Mm right? Right. The, they see you as a person. So, let's even think about a transgendered person who comes yeah. into your office, and you are medically making assumptions based of what they fit, right? Yeah, that's a little that's yeah. that's a whole another subject that we can touch upon as well, because um, that's a big part. But let's st- step back even further into the education that these medical professionals receive. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went to the school that I went to, and I will say its name because it's pretty popular, but Yale University, it and uh, we had an interdisciplinary group of learning. So physician assistants, midwives, uh, nurse practitioners, and also medical school students, we all were being taught this medical curricula that did not have any LGBTQ care, health care in it and yes we're all humans yes we all have the same organs but we are we don't have the same makeup in our brains right we are not the same people we yeah. have different identities we have different things that can manifest themselves through health problems mm-hmm. and to completely ignore that population in 2014 15 16 17 when i went to school yeah boggled my mind how could we provide care to folks we're part of our society without even addressing their healthcare needs, right? Yeah. Someone who's lesbian it has different types of healthcare needs than someone who is a gay male, yep, right? Because if you don't know who they're having sex with or how they're having sex, how can you test the proper body orifices
2: yeah. for
1: STDs or sexually transmitted diseases or infections? Right, mm-hmm. you can't. You really can't. Um, you know, how can you be able to address their sexual health needs in terms of libido, their desire, yeah, or, or other things like that? When all we think about sex is a vagina and a penis being penetrate, you know, a penis penetrating a vagina. That's there are many different ways to have sex, and 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 we don't even acknowledge that, right? right? We don't even ask people, um, the simple question, do you have sex with men, women? both Mm -hmm. because there are people who have sex with both so yeah what are we gonna do so that just concerns me about not not just that pregnancy test question but the fact that they're not even bothering to get to know all of the details of your life and how that can impact your health yeah right yeah so this this lgbtq health care is very important component just like black health is very important component yeah. of healthcare in itself.
2: Yeah.
1: And we tend and we don't do that. So we tend to teach white people health. Yeah, from dermatology to maternal health to any other type of thing you can ever think about. And it's it's concerning. It's concerning that I mean, obviously we understand why because yeah. this country is steeped in in racism and discrimination yes. from its beginnings, but yeah. We have to dismantle that.
2: Yeah, Definitely. Yeah. yeah. What about you? Uh,
0: well, plus one to what you said.
2: You and your plus ones. I love
0: plus ones. <laughs> uh, plus ones can be very helpful. And the second thing that I would say, speaking as a woman of color, is that once I became aware of the fact that um, women of color as women of color our pain tends to be taken less seriously than white women by doctors um i think i've gone into doctors offices um second guessing myself and not on like not being able to decipher if when i say when, you know whenever a doctor asks me what is your pain level at from a 0 to 10 and i'm saying an 8 or a 9 and they're countering that I don't know if they're really telling me that because they've done their their checks and, you know, like there's just like it's really not that serious or if they're just not taking me seriously because of the way that I look on the outside. And so, I don't know if I am being somebody who is exaggerating my pain or if I'm actually really in trouble and this doctor's bias is getting in the way of the quality of my healthcare. And so every time that I go to a doctor that is not a person of color, that is a worry that I have, and it does not put me at ease to get health care, right? So I have, like now, anytime that I have to see a doctor, I look for people of color, particularly women of color as doctors, because I feel more comfortable with them. I feel that they're going to take my pain seriously. I feel like they're going to give me quality of care that a white person will be given that I don't know, necessarily know that I can get with other doctors because now I know this fact in my head and I'm, I'm constantly second-guessing that.
1: Yeah. And that's very real. It's very real. That's very real. And in over the past years with more uh, studies on inherent bias in the medical system yeah. and racial discrimination in the medical system, there have actually been studies that show that this is actually true, that your experience is very much founded in what's happening in our healthcare system right now. And we can even look at the breakdown of the op- opioid epidemic that we're going through in this country. And who is the, who are the people being most affected by it? White people. Mostly white. Generally speaking, when we think of it, when we see it in our head, when we think of someone addicted to heroin, now in this time, if, point in time that we're talking about, it's a white person. Yeah. And wow. why is that? It's because... Back in the early 2000s, when Percocet and Vicodin and all of these narcotics that people were being given for pain was the the in and the way yeah. to treat pain and pain management, they were the ones getting the medications. And people of color were being dismissed for their pain. And I saw it with my own eyes during my rotations um, in New Haven. I saw, during a pediatric rotation, two very different patients. One was Latinx and another was a white girl and um I'm assuming she was a girl. Yeah, she was a girl. And <laughs> uh she had broken her arm and the other one had broken a leg. And the one the white girl who had broken her arm was completely sedated. Completely. They were fixing her bones, which means that they have to pop it out of the socket, cast it Ooh. and make it reset it. And the Latinx person was not given pain medication. Bones were reset without anything, no anesthesia whatsoever, and was told to calm down and stop screaming because it wasn't that painful. Wow. You cannot tell a 10-year-old kid that resetting their bones after they broke it and casting it is not painful. That was a complete, complete, complete breach of everything that we're taught as medical professionals to treat. Uh, to make person comfortable before you start make, doing these things, right? Yeah. Um, but these inherent biases that we have that people of color can handle pain more or that they're not really feeling pain or they're just being dramatic or they're... That white
0: pain is worth,
1: worth more. Worth treating, yeah, yeah. right. Or that this, this, and that. It, it's, it's, I mean, it comes from the whole medical apartheid that we had in this country with... Um, people running experiments and tests on people of color, right? And then finding whatever discoveries they got from that and treating white people with it. Yeah. It it's, it's just goes back to that. And, and fortunately, most of the population of people of color have been sort of, they haven't gotten the brunt of the opioid epidemic. I mean, now it's, it's, a, it's attacking our communities of color as well. Yeah. But it, that was the reason was because doctors and other medical professionals were not giving Percocets to people of color. And that's the situation we're in now. Um, But it's very true. Your experience has been documented. Uh, It's been shown that people of color are not listened to, especially black women. And um, it's it's terrible. It's a terrible situation we're in now.
2: So what has your experience been... As a patient on the other side of things. So ever since you all asked me to be a part
1: of this uh, podcast. Uh, in this particular episode. I've been thinking and trying to wrap my brain. Of myself as a patient. Mm-hmm. Before I became a provider. And it's been so hard. Because I cannot untangle those experiences anymore. Yeah. Um, because I've tried so hard not to be that provider. That dismisses women of color. I've tried so hard to not be that provider that doesn't listen to people. Um, yeah. and so trying to remember a time when that happened to me has been so hard. Uh, and and also hard to take away the memories I have from seeing other people getting mistreated. Yeah. In my training, to then that gets confounded with my memories of how I thought I was treated. I um and so for me, again Labels are very important, so I just want to say that I am cisgender, I'm heteronormative. I do like men. Um, and so when I go to the gynecologist, I do have to take pregnancy tests because I am exposed to pregnancy um, as someone who dates men. And so for me, that's not something that, that bothers me when they ask. And, and because I, I think in that cisgender way, when they forget to ask me who I have sex with, also doesn't bother me. I don't think about that. So for me, the the ways that I've been affected by discrimination um, has been sort of related to what you said, Steph, in terms of pain. But then again, I have not been someone that's lived with pain. I just haven't. Um, The only concerns I've had with my health have been asthma. That was childhood asthma. Yeah. You know, I'm pretty healthy, which is also a privilege in itself to be able-bodied and not have to fight the healthcare system all the time. Yeah. Um, the only thing that I've had to fight for is my birth control. And then thanks to Obamacare, that got taken care of for me too. Yeah. So I don't have experiences that myself have been through because I haven't had too many experiences as a patient.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Okay. Um. So I can't speak to that. The only experiences I can are experiences I've seen other people live through, where I've been a witness, or I've been in the room when things were happening to them. As someone who had to train to become a medical professional, a lot of the times, depending on the stages you're in, so as a trainee, you might be in the corner somewhere shadowing a, a doctor or a midwife. Yeah. Um, and, and hearing how they talk to the patients. And then not being able to say anything because you are being trained. So you don't want to call out that provider yeah. who is in charge of your grade, right? Yeah. That's been frustrating. I've had those experiences. Um, or as an interpreter, seeing how the language barrier for some patients act as um, a way to... So detrimental to their health care. So
0: they can advocate if, for themselves. Yeah. Right?
1: If you can't speak the language that your patient speaks, right, um, and then you have an interpreter there, which is amazing that we have that, that yeah. they've now realized, hey, maybe we should pay for interpreters. Yeah. But so many patients who I speak to, because I, I speak other languages, so I'm able to speak directly to my patients, they, my schedule is full because they ask to, sp- to be with me. Yeah. They ask to have a provider who speaks their language. And so when they come in and they hear me speak it and they're like, oh my God, thank God. Now I can finally say a whole list of laundry of things that have been happening to me since I was seven years old, which is really (laughs) tough for me. But I'm so happy for them because they're able to express themselves. They're able to say something. And when you have an interpreter, it's a great tool, but sometimes for the sake of time, because of the way our healthcare system is, and that's another story to talk about, yeah. they're not able to translate everything, and and they and the interpreters, which is not the way they were trained, but the interpreters think they know what the patient is feeling, yeah. and sometimes they don't use the right words in English to mm-hmm. transcribe what that patient is saying. Mm-hmm. So lots of things get missed in that. So a language barrier is a way that, um, like, why can't medical professionals learn yeah. languages? And
0: I guess as a patient, I wouldn't know that the interpreter might be taking shortcuts to summarize so I can't advocate for myself to say I want you to make sure that you write down you write this down verbatim exactly as I'm saying it to you so you don't have that ability to advocate for yourself because you don't know
1: exactly that this is happening and and that is is terrible it's a terrible system we have but until medical professionals take it upon themselves to learn new languages until as a country we think English is not the
0: only the, language. The only <laughs>
1: language, you know, especially in a country that's supposedly made up of immigrants. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we'll, we'll get there, but it's it's been a lot. And I don't have one instance that I can say that happened to me, but I can do a list. Like, I can write a book about other things I've seen happen in the hospital, clinics, private offices, yeah. of ways that we don't listen to women of color or people of color, per se, yeah. of ways we dismiss their health concerns, yeah. of ways we say, oh, it's because they're poor, that's why they're doing that. Right. Or, oh, it's because they they don't know better because this, this, and that. Instead of knowing what social determinants of health are creating yeah. these moments in their health care. So how
0: have all of, in, in you seeing the ways in which patients quality of care has been put at risk because of their identities. How has that impacted the way in which you provide care right. to your patients?
1: Ooh, that's a loaded question. Um, so I've been thinking about this for, for a few years, and when I was in school, I saw that I wasn't getting the education I needed to be mm-hmm. able to have the tools to be the provider I wanted to be. Yeah. So I've always known I wanted to work for a federally qualified health center, which is a center that ha- gets funds from the government's to, um, especially in the form of Medicaid and Medicare, to yeah. serve low-income communities and communities that don't have access to healthcare. Yeah. right? So I always knew that that's where I wanted to end up in the future. But these schools don't teach you those tools to deal with that. You're dealing with so much poverty. You're dealing mm-hmm. with so many uneducated folks who are not only illiterate but have health illiteracy, right? Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of social determinants of health, and I keep putting out this phrase, and if for people who don't know what that is, it's, it's uh, different um, systems that make access to healthcare or your ability to advocate for yourself and get the proper health for you or, mm-hmm. or uh, get access to the right doctor, and I think very hard. So that includes food insecurity, so the obesity epidemic. That includes reproductive health, so getting an abortion, getting birth control, um, everything, right? And so for me, that was super important to get into my education. And unfortunately, like I said before, a lot of these curriculum don't have that. At all. So a group of uh, students um, from different schools at Yale University, different medical professional schools, came together and created a social health justice class. Mm -hmm. And to that, we taught ourselves. We tried to um, put it into our curriculum, and the administration fought against us. We tried to um, say that this was important. We showed studies. We showed all these different things. They said, we don't have time for that. We have to teach you what's on the tests and what's on the board exams for you to get licensed so that you can go out there and be a provider. But what's the point of being a provider who only knows book things? Yeah. When in society, we need to address the whole patient. Yeah. Not just my knee hurts,
0: Yeah.
1: right? Or not just my heart hurts or right. I have cholesterol. Yeah. But you need to take a step back and look at the whole patient. What's yeah. going on at home? What's going on in their community? What's going on in their society that has made them this sick? Yeah. Right. And so from that, um, I was able to be a part of a group that organized this class and self-taught myself how to be this provider. And this provider in quotes that I put is um, someone who listens to patients Mm -hmm. because that's an art that's been lost. Yeah. We don't listen to our patients anymore. We don't have time to listen to our patients. Uh, Studies have shown that providers will cut you off after 10 seconds of speaking. 10 seconds is not that much. I mean, I can't even get a sentence across in 10 seconds. Exactly. We'll cut you off immediately and start filling it, filling in the narrative for you, mm. um, which sucks. Like, how, what are you doing? Yeah. You can't speak for that patient. You can't speak for their pain, right? Um, and uh, just just knowing where that patient is coming from and meeting them where they're at. Yeah. You can't tell someone that they need to eat a better healthy diet when they come from a place that does not have a supermarket yeah you can't tell someone that their obesity is their fault when they come from a place that on the corner there's kfc on another corner there's mcdonald's on another corner there's this and then you say you should eat more spinach they can't afford it supermarkets in these poor and low income areas are super expensive Mm-hmm. You would think it would be the opposite, but it's yeah. super expensive. And, and even with EBT, even with SNAP, uh, which are all things to help people get food, until recently, they did not cover these fresh vegetables and produce. Yeah. Until recently, they, you could not go to a farmer's market as a poor person and get fresh things.
0: Yeah.
1: So how can we address these epidemics that we have in this country with heart health, with black maternal health, with diabetes and obesity, with all of these things when we can't even address the simple cause root cause of why. Yeah. If you don't know what social determinants of health are as a provider. So you're saying that this has all impacted
0: you and you the ways in which now you are crafting the provider that you are. Yeah. Is that you 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 listen to patients, you try to understand how the patient's circumstances has impacted their health care or I'm, sorry their health
1: yeah and i've all, and your health care too right yeah that's true you don't yes. have insurance right <laughs> yeah. um and i've taught myself to to question these things in the way that we practice medicine so that i can be a better provider and meet my patients where they are right and so Taking that back into um, queer health, for example.
0: yeah,
1: uh, One thing that I told you, Jess, is why they never asked you who you had sex with, right? That's very important to me. Um, I, I need to ask questions in a way that I can get the most information from a patient without offending them. Yeah. Or, or assuming their sexuality yeah. or assuming anything. I don't want to assume anything, because when you assume, you make an ass out of you and me, right? Yeah. And you're not getting anywhere. Yeah. Um, and so I walk into a room, I introduce myself, I sit down, and I say, tell me your story. Tell me what brought you here today. Yeah. I don't ask any questions, except for that one. And if you just sit back and let someone talk, you can answer all the medical questions you need to ask. Because the patient knows why they're there. Yeah. Most of the time sometimes you know but the patient knows what that why they're coming to you. Yeah. They will be able to tell you the who, the what, the why, the when, everything if you just allow them to speak. Don't interrupt them. Try. It's super hard. Try for 2 minutes to sit there quietly and listen to someone. I mean, I think the art of listening has been lost in society in general.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so. It is. And that's my my main thing especially with that statistic that you said in the beginning of the this episode. Um one of the most simple things that we can help solve this problem with black maternal health and yeah i know we're jumping ahead here but is just fucking listen sorry i know no, that's okay swear, you can, no you can swear but that's just okay. listen to black women listen to what they're telling you right like we all heard the serena williams story she yeah. had, she's rich She's actually. I mean, yeah, I I
0: think that's a lesson, too. I think we think that money, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, absolves people of color from bias, from, from experiencing bias.
1: Not in healthcare. It There have been studies also that show, and again, I'm speaking in an abstract concept way. I don't have the exact numbers and statistics to pull out of my head for everyone listening, but there are studies that show that no matter what, What economic class you're from, no matter the level of education you've achieved, no matter what, as a black woman, you have the same outcomes. You might think, hey, I live in Bel Air. I don't know if Bel Air is still rich anymore, but (laughs) the the Fresh Prince of Bel Air comes to mind. Um, And I'm a lawyer and I have this degree and that, that, that doesn't matter. You will still be treated and you will still have the same outcome as a woman who's black, who lives in Mississippi and never graduated high school. That's a really sad. And that's statistic. where we are yeah. in this country. Doesn't matter. And when you said during and after childbirth, I think yeah. people forget that after childbirth is six months. So Black women have a lot more cardiovascular issues, right? We have a lot more wear and tears, what it's called, than white yeah. women, and even Latinx or Latinas, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and an Asian woman too. We have so many things going against us that no matter how much you took yourself out of the ghetto, I could say, yeah. you're still going to be affected by it. So how do we change that? That's, it, that's what a lot of people are working on right now. Um, I, I know that this has been a hot topic in the news, Black maternal health and yeah. how women are dying, and it's mostly Black people, um, but overall... Our healthcare system has disappointed women, and we've let them down, and we're killing them slowly. Uh, childbirth has become so 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 medicalized, yeah. we're, we're stepping away from everything that is quote unquote normal about childbirth, um, and we've we've intervened so much now that how can we how can we get away from that, right? Yeah. And I already gave one example, listening to women, especially black women. Another example is uh, I advocate for midwives. Midwives have a lower complication rate. We have, and it's not only because we tend to mostly low-risk patients, but I work in a high-risk environment, and our midwives have consistently shown that we have less infection rates, we have less women dying from our care, We have um, less women suffering from complications after childbirth, during childbirth, from the simple fact that we're there to address the whole patient and not just that fetus and the woman during that time and space of pregnancy. Um, Proper access to healthcare, right? A lot of black women or women of color enter the healthcare system in their pregnancy way after they should. Way yeah. after the first trimester, um, we've shown that segregation has really destroyed Black maternal health as well. So in this country, um, hospitals that are that mainly serve Black women or Black people usually have white doctors in them. Yeah, because that's the majority, right? We still don't have enough women of color or Black or people of color in yeah. medicine. Um, and they come with all their biases, all their stereotypes, all of this ingrained in their head that's never been talked about with them in school. That's never anything, right? Yeah. And they come and they treat these women like they're nothing. They don't listen to them. They dismiss them. They miss, dismiss their pain. Dismiss everything, right? Don't take good care of them. Yeah. But that hospital was supposed to be for black people, right? Yeah. Doesn't work, so proper access to health is important. Yeah, um, we try to fix that with Medicaid, which is a form of insurance that the that the federal government gives. Uh, it helps, but most good doctors don't take Medicaid. It doesn't pay you as much. Damn. Right. Yeah. It's a lot. A lot of people have been talking about this, and recently we just had Black Maternal Health Week which I um, actually went to a school with, with a person who started it. Yeah. And they have talks around the country to try and address this. But how is it in 2019? This is, this this is now no, to becoming top of
0: mind. Yeah. right.
1: When women, like I said, back to Serena Williams, she had to beg for her life. She had to beg for nurses to listen to her. She knew her condition. She knew that childbirth would cause this, this, and that for it. She told him exactly the symptoms that she was experiencing. She asked him to do the test that she needed, and she still had to fight to get that.
0: It's like as a as a, as a woman of color, and particularly as a black woman, you have to train to be the doctor so that you can tell the person who just has the license right. what to do.
1: Right. And how can you do that if you don't understand the words, right, the terminology that we use, you know? And so as a provider, my, my thing is I dumb down everything I say. Yeah. Not because you're dumb. Yeah. You are not dumb. My patients are very smart. But because the terminology is against them. Yeah. How can you advocate for yourself if you don't know the words to use? Right? Yeah. So I'm there to speak their language, whether it is actually in a different language or in the vernacular that we use. Yeah. Right? I'm there to educate. My favorite part about my job is education. Yeah. If I have you in my room or my, uh, my office room for 15 minutes, and you're there for a simple vaginitis, which is like yeast infection or BV, mm-hmm. I'm going to educate you about that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And what most people do is they treat you. Goodbye. Yeah. But I don't want you to come back in that room anymore with that damn thing. <laughs> like, yeah. that's done. Let's treat it and let's cure it. Like, we're yes. done. Don't come back.
0: And from a patient perspective, some of the best providers that I've had explained to me, like... This is what's going on. This is how it happens. This is how you can prevent it moving forward. And they make you feel reassured like you were, you're in that you're the one with the with whatever it may be, mm-hmm. right? You're the yeah. one that's still going to ha- like experience that after you leave the doctor's office. Yeah. So you at least want to understand the process of what's happening to your own body.
1: Right. Right? And I think you touched upon another thing too is that a lot of things happen to black women or women of color. Like they're done to them
2: mm-hmm.
1: we forget consent um, I'm a provider that it really believes in that and I see it every day when I go into the hospital um, nurses telling me I take too much time talking to patients
0: mm-hmm.
1: that they need to go to another patient and I need to hurry up no or that when I go do a cervical check which is to check how dilated you are that I should just pop their bag of water so we can hurry up the birth first of all I didn't talk to this patient about the risks and the benefits of doing that. Right. Just because my hand is in their vagina and I'm holding up their cervix doesn't mean I can stick a stick in there to pop up their bag of water because we need to hurry up the birth. Right. I can't do things to people without them knowing what's being done to them. Right. That just grinds my gears so much when people don't talk to patients about their... And I tell my patients before they get into the hospital, I'm like, everything they do to you, ask why. Why are you doing that? What's the point of that? Why are you giving me that medication? What is this medication for? Uh how will that make me feel? How will this and so many women because they think you're you have their best interests in heart, they don't ask those questions.
2: Well it's a it's a power dynamic, right? right. I think Sam so. yeah. touched on it like for our communities it's it wasn't something that was like doctors know everything or medical professionals know everything. It's like you're going to the, to, to the doctor's office. If they tell you this is what it is, that's what it is. So just take it for what it is and like let it go. Because, mm-hmm. right, you're getting interrupted. And that just triggered me because I just remember going into uh, a doctor's office and explaining my pain. I think it was my wrist pain. And he kept interrupting me. And I'm like, dude, I'm trying to explain the before, the present, and like what I'm feeling right now so that you can give me the best like advice to how to do this. But it's a power dynamic because now you're just like, am I talking too much? Like he's, you just said it. He's, he's filling in and he's giving me that narrative where I'm like, oh, maybe it's what he said and it's not what I, will, you know, yeah, what I. It's I'm a bit actually, You can't
0: advocate for yourself.
2: And I, in uh, going back to our, f- our past episodes, it's like we were never taught how to do that. So no. like, even if even if you told me like ask why, ask why, it's like certain people are going to be like, how do I how do I insert myself into this and how do I feel confident enough to ask why and then how many times can I ask why? Right, as many as you want. Right, but like for some people, it's like they were never taught that, or they're just too stuck in like that power dynamic. They're like, "All right, I'm gonna keep getting interrupted, so I'm just gonna do what they say."
1: Yeah, and I see that happen a lot, um, especially with the population that I deal with, which are mainly immigrants. Yeah, and in our home country, speak. I'm an immigrant, so putting out another label as well. Um, especially in our home countries, we or my home country, which is Cape Verde. We see doctors as, like, on a pedestal, Mm -hmm. right? They achieve success. They're smart. They did the training. They know what they're talking about. And we cannot ever, ever, ever undermine their authority. Mm -hmm. Ever.
0: Mm -hmm. And you take, uh, I mean, in, in the U.S., at least, you take an oath, right? Right. And so you think that every doctor will abide by that oath.
1: Yeah. But in the U.S., Americans question their doctors. In other countries, they don't. Yeah. So when I'm sitting there and I'm telling these patients to ask why, they look at me crazy.
0: Yeah. And
1: when I ask them, so do you have any questions about what we talked about today? They're like, no, whatever you say. Yeah. When I do birth control counseling, they ask me, what do you think is best for me? Yeah. And I say, no, no, no. That's your body. I can't tell you what to put in it. They're like, but, but, and I'm like, we can have a conversation about all the different methods. And then you tell me what fits best for your life. They're like wait but i don't know and i'm like no 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 you know a lot more i don't live in your body i yeah. don't know how pills affect you i don't know how you feel about putting an iud or an intrauterine device inside of your uterus i'm not you right i cannot tell you what you can do or not do with your body i right. can only give you the facts the benefits and the risks and you make your decision and that blows their mind <laughs> Like, blows it. And when I can tell they're having a hard time coming to the fact that they can make decisions about what goes into their body, I'm like, you know what? Take a week to think about this. And come back. There's no rush. Yeah, I don't persuade people to take birth control. Um, there's also what's happening right now with women of color. Uh, is they're policing how many babies you can have. Right? Yeah. So there are a lot of studies that say we need to um, really push larks which are long-acting reversible contraception like Nexplanon, which are implants in your arms for three years or iud's which can be for five years or 10 yeah. years because it's a way to tell poor women of color to stop having children because you're not adequate enough right to have yeah. children yeah that's sad and that's the thing that's happening and and I can hear it in my midwives and my colleagues. They try so hard to be this, especially in the in the community we work in. We're there for a reason. All of my colleagues are there because they chose to be there. Not because yeah. they were placed there because of the money. Because trust yeah. me, we ain't making that much. Yeah. Um, but I hear it in them. They're like, oh my God, this is her seventh pregnancy. I really got to put an IUD in her. No. You don't no, you, that. No, you cannot say yeah. that about a human being. Um, and, and that, and I know that because it goes back to just in California, uh, back in the 1960s, I believe they were sterilizing Central American women without their consent because they believed they were having too many children oh my
0: goodness, yeah. and
1: that's sort of like a eugenics type of thing. And right now we're going through that another period, but it's a more progressive one of using what antibodies, told, yeah. right? It's a different, it's the same thing called by a different name. Yeah. And so for me, it's very important that I educate women first or my patients because I don't deal with men that much. But um, I educate women and I let them come to their own decision. And that empowers them. When they come back the next week, they're like, I read this thing in the brochure. I have some questions about it. I'm like, perfect. Let's ask those questions before we put anything in your body because if you come back and you tell me well I didn't know that it was going to do this this and that to me mm-hmm. I'm going to be upset of myself because yeah. then that means I didn't counsel you correctly Yeah, Got that's it. the same way I feel during childbirth too is that if yeah. you come back to me two weeks later uh, after you give birth because we do postpartum visits two weeks later and you tell me that you had a traumatic birth with me I failed you and that destroys me yeah I need you to be able to come back and say, wow, I had the best experience of my life. That that makes me so happy. That means that um, I listened to you. I took care of you. I explained things to you. You not once lost control of the situation, right? You had the power. It was your birth story. I was just there to catch a baby. And say, thank you for allowing me to be part of your birth. And I say that to every woman after they have babies. I say, thank you so much for allowing me to be part of your birth. And they're like, no, no, thank you. Thank you for helping. And I'm like, no, I didn't do anything. I literally sat on a bed and waited for you to have your baby. Yeah. That's it. That's all I'm there for is to help you. That's the definition of a midwife is to be with women. That's what midwife means in old English. And, And I wish more medical professionals believed that or thought about it this way. That we're not there to tell our patients what to do. We're there to give them these tools to help them be a better person in their or have a better health.
0: Yeah. So I guess you answered a bonus question that we had, which was the last question. And it was, um, as women of color, as people of color, how can you advocate for yourself as a patient? And what I got from what you said is always ask the why. Um and two is to remind ourselves that it's our body and we know our body's best. And that by asking the why, we do have a little bit more control of the situation instead of allowing a provider to lead us to whatever they think is is best.
1: Right. Correct. Yeah. Essentially. Because like I was saying with the immigrant patients that I deal with, they just sit there and say, yes, yes, yes. Whatever you say, you, you know what to do. I'm like, I actually... I actually do know what I'm doing, but at the same time, I'm providing you to a know, consultation. Yeah, I need you to know what I'm doing too. Yeah, right? Because if I counseled you on something and, and told you how to take something and you're just yesing me to death and you really don't understand. So for a simple simple thing is we all know what pap smears are, right? Yes. I'm assuming. actually, you just assume too. Because maybe your readers don't know what a pap that's smear true, is. That's true, yeah. Right? So when I walk into a room and I do a well-woman exam, and they're, they're like, well, my PCP or primary care provider sent me for a pap smear. I'm like, okay. That's not what all a well-woman exam is. A pap smear can be a part of your gynecological visit. doesn't mean that we're going to do it that visit. Mm-hmm. So I ask them, do you know what a pap smear is? That simple question is not to make you feel dumb, but to know where you're coming from. Yeah. Right? Where do I need to start? Some women will say, yeah, it's, you do something in my vagina, right? Some women will say, oh, it's about my risk of cancer. Yeah. Other women will say, no, I don't. I have no clue what that is. I think I got it done last year when they put something in in my vagina and they took like a swab or something and, and then they sent it out and they said, I'm okay. I'm like, okay, well, when I hear the word swab or cotton, I know that wasn't a pap smear. That was just a vaginitis check. And people are confused because no one tells them what they're doing to their bodies. Yeah. So I just start with the simple, do you know what a pap smear is? And then we go from there. And even if they say, yes, I do, I still explain it. I say a pap smear is a way that um, us as medical professionals can see your risk for cervical cancer. Then they say, what's a cervix? (laughs) And we got to start because we don't know our bodies. We're not taught it in schools, right? So people think that the vagina is the vagina in it, and that's where everything is. Yeah, the vagina is just one part of our genitals, as if we have them as women. Yeah, right. There's the vulva. There's the clitoris. There's the vestibule. There's the forchette. Yeah. There's, the <laughs> there's labia, a lot of stuff in there. There is the cervix. Yeah. The vaginal walls. So many things in there, but we we don't name them. Yeah. Like growing up, do you remember what you used to call your vagina? <laughs> What are those little names? So many,
0: so many things. That your mom Pipita. Are? Yeah.
1: Like, things that yeah. we we have such a hard. Sapito. Right. Tutusha is my like, <laughs> Oh
2: man. I hope my mom's yeah. to this.
1: Like we have so many names. It's
2: give our, yeah, exactly.
1: That we give our genitals oh. without actually naming them. And I'm yeah. such a big proponent of teaching women too. The, like I, I talk while I touch. Yeah. Because right? that's another issue too is for people who have had sexual history or sexual assault history yeah. or rape or whatever it may be that happened in their lives making sure that they're in power is the most important thing a provider can do when you touch someone without letting them know that they're about to be touched you yeah. might as well be raping them all over again yeah if you don't yeah. even ask them about that history you might as well just leave you didn't yeah. do your job right so for me letting them know that Hey, I'm about to touch the back of your leg. I'm about to touch your vulva. I'm about to put a speculum, which is the worst instrument ever invented, into your vagina. Yes. I'm about to open it and create pressure. I go step by step, right? And not every provider does that. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been to an, an office, visit then they go, roop, roop, and yes. it's in there and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, <laughs> yeah. what is that? You, yeah. You know? Um, and so it's so important to me to be able to provide that education and people don't realize that a lot of women, a lot of patients leave their, their off, their medical professional office confused.
2: They mm-hmm.
1: have no clue. you feeling in-
0: like you went to like a McDonald's and you were like a transaction, like real right. quick.
1: Yeah. And we now call our patients clients. Which sucks.
0: Yeah, that's not a thing. Right? Yeah.
1: We're not a corporation. Yeah. These aren't clients. But we are making money off of you. Yeah. But it, it just, it bothers me so much to treat people as numbers. Yeah. As um, insurance numbers, right? The more people yeah. I see, the more money I make for this clinic. Blah, blah, blah. That's what we're turning into. That's what medicine is now. Yeah. Um, and that's why we're having so many maternal deaths. Because we're treating them as clients. And yeah. not humans who need healthcare, um, and that's the current issue we're having in this country, and healthcare right now is our one of our number one producers of the GDP of our e- economy yeah, in this yeah. country. We make a lot of money off of healthcare, and the more people are sick, the more issues they have, the more money we're going to keep making, um, and midwifery is all about preventative care, yeah. right? I want to prevent maternal deaths. I don't want you to get there. Black women are more likely to have a, a disease uh, during pregnancy that's called preeclampsia. We haven't figured out why, but one of my theories is the systemic oppression and racial discrimination that black women face Yeah. causes. So preeclampsia, just to back up, is a blood pressure issue during pregnancy. So a lot of women uh, who are black have these blood pressure issues where mm-hmm. their blood pressure spikes and gives them seizures. Um, And we have to be very careful about that because then it also causes babies to not grow in utero. Yeah. It causes them to come out with low birth weight. And we know that low birth weight causes consequences in the future as a child. Yeah. All of these things. Black women also have higher rates of preterm birth. We don't make it the full nine months. Yeah. You know? And we even have a friend who was affected by that. Yeah. and in the most educated one, right? Yeah. Like I said in the beginning, it doesn't matter how educated, how much money you have, you're still going to be affected by that. And we don't know these reasons, per se, in quotation, but studies are showing that it is discrimination. It is racial bias. It is years and years of this wearing down on you and causing you to have these concerns. We don't see it as as much in Latinx people yet, because they're, they're relatively new to this country, right? Yeah. They haven't been discriminated against as much as black people. Yet. Because they're new immigrants. They come from their home countries where they were probably being fed organic food. Not as many pesticides and other things that we have in this country yet. You know? Mm-hmm. They're not there yet. But they're getting there. Their numbers are creeping up. But white people continuously get the best health care they continuously get listened to more often. They're able to advocate for themselves more. They're usually the ones with better insurance. Yeah. And so this is the situation we found ourselves in.
0: Well, thank you for sharing your expertise and your perspective. I hope that if you're listening as a healthcare provider that you have learned from Ana Sofia in terms of like what well, she strives to be as a as a provider. And I hope that if you are listening as a patient, that you took away the message that no one will know your body more than you and that you should always ask the why in um, any situation where where a provider is telling you to do anything with your body, uh, which I think would have helped me years ago, just even hearing that and understanding that I have that power. Just even someone telling you that, I think means a lot. So I hope that everyone was able to take something away from this episode. I mean, I was.
2: Yeah so much
0: yeah so if uh, if you want to get in contact with Ana Sophia, go ahead um, on our Instagram channel at Trish.chat and drop us a comment or a DM um, but also let us know your your feedback um, on today's episode yep.
1: alright and on. before we leave I just wanted to say if you want to learn more about these things uh, read the book Medical Apartheid read the book Killing the Black Body Look up Black maternal health statistics so you can learn more about that. Look up uh, um, biases in medicine to learn more about that as well. And not not just as a provider, but as a patient, Um, you can always contact me, like Stephanie just said, and just be more aware about how we treat people in this country, especially in medicine. Uh, And know your options. Know that you can always get a second opinion.
2: Awesome.
1: Awesome.
2: Thank you, Anna. I
1: yeah. appreciate it. I guess till next time. Yeah. Bye,
2: everybody. Bye. Bye.